0: Or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app. Or when you text CCCIV APP to 77977.
1: So that's what these people did. They brought him, they they exchanged, they, they created these gods that they could worship. They fashioned these gods with their own hands. And he says, this just doesn't make sense. Why would you ex- exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man? It just makes no sense. So these are those upon whom the wrath of God will rest. The ungodly, the unrighteous, and the unexcused. And now we're going to come into a point in our text where we're going to be looking at those who have been delivered to destruction, pick it up in verse 24 with me. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is to be blessed forever. Amen. God gave them up. That word literally is to deliver in the Greek. He took his hands off of them. He's not pushing. He's not prodding. He's not a puppet master. He's allowing these people to choose the cup over the cross if that's what they desire. Listen to me for again, just for a moment, just again, God is a gentleman and he will not force his will upon you. He gives you, he affords you the freedom of free will. You have the opportunity to choose whether or not you believe. But here in this text, he says very clearly that God takes his hands off. He delivers them. He surrenders them, if you will, to the lusts of their own hearts to impurity. The word lust, it means to desire or to crave. And these lusts can take some sort of subtle fashions for some of us. For some of us, we can't have a bag of Oreos in the house or we're going to eat the whole thing. Why? Because we can't stop once we start. For some of us, these lusts or these cravings is in the form of some sort of an addiction that maybe is a little bit more socially acceptable. But how many of you really shouldn't have Amazon as an app on your phones because you just can't stop spending money? For others, it's maybe not so so subtle like a bag of Oreos or an app on our phone. But for some of us, it's an outright addiction, addiction to, to sex, pornography and addiction to alcoholism or some sort of a controlled substance. And we're given over to these things here. The word says that God is going to take his hands off. Look, I'm going to allow you to choose. You can choose me or you can choose to follow after your own lusts, your own desires, your own cravings. But the choice is yours. He says he gave them over to those, the the, the cravings of their hearts to impurity. Now that word impurity, it means filth or uncleanness. And when you look around our culture today, our culture is filled with filth. It's embarrassing sometimes standing in line with my children when the, the tabloids and the, the magazines are there because of the pictures that are depicted. It's embarrassing sometimes to try to watch television when just the commercials come on. Our culture is surrounded with filth. It's just a fact. And God says, look, I'm going to allow you to choose filth. If you want the filth, I'm not going to force myself upon you. He says that they, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is to be blessed forever. Amen. So this is describing those people. Who flirt with lusts and their hearts are captivated by lusts. And they even, this text says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. They are pursuing the passions of pleasure rather than serving the living God. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes this to his young protege Timothy, and he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control, brutal. Loving good, uh, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This describes our culture to a T, who has exchanged the worship of the truth for the worship of a lie. Who's worshiping the creature, our own self, our own pleasures rather than the creator. It makes no sense. So before we even get into the next portion of our text this morning, I think it's helpful to pause just for a moment and to just come right out and say the next portion of our text is considered pretty controversial in the midst of our culture. But it is not controversial to the Lord. God knows what he's written. God knows what is in his word. It is his heart. And so we as Bible teachers don't have the luxury to pick and choose what we want to preach and what we want to teach. We either teach the entire counsel of the word of God and believe all of God's word for what it says, or we really have to throw the whole thing out. Let me show you what it's like. It's like, Taking one of these books, this book was written by Patrick Morley, and if I begin to tear pages out of the middle of this book, I change what the author's intent is. When you read this book now and you're missing pages, do you even get the full brunt of what the author's trying to write? I don't think you do. And the same thing happens if we try to take the whole counsel of God's word and change God's word because we pull things out or we decide to pull things out because they just aren't very popular in our culture. Jesus was clear. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. There's going to be division that's going to happen even in households because of the truth. The truth has a tendency to be divisive. It's very divisive even in the midst of our culture today. So as we jump into this text, I want you to bear that in mind. We're teaching through the book of Romans. It's not as though we're cherry picking this passage out of the scripture saying, we want to focus on this. We can't teach the book of Romans and not teach this portion of the text. If we do that, It's tantamount to ourselves saying we are God. We're going to decide what is true and what is false. We're going to decide what is good and what is not good to teach in the midst of our culture. And we just cannot do that. That takes the the Lord off of his throne and it really puts ourselves on that throne. And we become the judge saying what is right and wrong. And I'm convinced that we need to allow the Lord to decide what is right and wrong. So let's read this portion of the text together. If you're following, you should be. Romans chapter 1. Paul says this for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange, natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You can see what I'm talking about, why this would be considered controversial in our culture. But this text opens up, this portion of text, and Paul says that God gave them up. Again, he took his hands off. He afforded them the opportunity to make a choice. He let them choose to exercise their free will. He took his hands off and said, I'm going to let you do what you're going to do. And it says there that he gave them over to these dishonorable passions. Now, that, that word dishonorable literally means to be shameful, degrading, dishonorable. So that's what exactly it is. And the word passions is is referring to sexual desires or sexual passions. And so here God gave them up to these dishonorable passions. They exchanged natural relations for those which are contrary to nature. This text is very clearly stating that, that a homosexual lifestyle is contrary to nature, contrary to the way God created man and woman to behave. That word nature means that which is in accordance with nature, natural relations, basic behaviors. Okay, so now this is what Jesus says in referring to the way God created man and woman in Matthew chapter 19. He says this, "'Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife?' and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined, let not man separate. This is the way God created man and woman. God created man and woman to have a relationship. And from that relationship, they would be able to procreate. The very first command that God gives in the scripture is to be fruitful and to multiply. That takes place uh, quite quite frankly and, and biologically when the man and the woman come together and they become one flesh in their offspring, in their children. 23 chromosomes from the father, 23 chromosomes from the mother. Those chromosomes come together and they create a new unique DNA code. Now that's the two becoming one flesh quite literally in the child two becoming one. This is the way God created it. Now this text says that they exchange those natural relations for those which are contrary to nature against nature. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality is a sin. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 18. And in context, it's speaking about a list of sins that are there. And it it lists sins like bestiality. It lists sins like uh, adultery. It lists sins like sacrificing your children to Moloch or to idols. That's the context in which the, the sin of homosexuality is referred to in the Old Testament. And there are some that argue, well, that's the law we're under grace now. That's the old book. We're under a new book. Jesus came to bring a new book, and this is true, but the Bible also clearly teaches that homosexuality is wrong in the new book, in the New Testament, in the new promise. We read it right here in Romans chapter one. You can also read it in first Timothy chapter one, where Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, saying the law wasn't given for the just, but the law was given for those who act ungodly, And in in the list of sins that is listed there, the the sin of homosexuality is clearly included. So again, this is not necessarily the most favorable text in the eyes of our culture today, but we can't try to make excuses for God. We can't try to try to somehow apologize on behalf of the Lord. This is his word. This is his truth. And we're in a place as a church, we're in places as pastors where we have to teach the whole counsel of the word of God. And this is clearly here. And again, this is part of those who are in danger of being given over to destruction because they surrendered to these passions, these dishonorable passions, and they followed after those things. Now, in this, this text, again, this is what it says. It says they were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. They were consumed. The word means engulfed or inflamed. And so I asked the question, what really truly is the most compassionate thing we can do for people that we love that are in the homosexual community? What can we do for people that we know that are gay, that identify as gay? If you knew that a building was on fire, if you could see a building engulfed in flames, which again, Paul is saying, these people are engulfed in their sin. They're engulfed in this behavior. Wouldn't you do what you could to pull those people from the flames, to spare them from that penalty, to spare them from that pain? In the same sense, it's not very compassionate of a church who knows what the truth is to ignore sin in our culture for the sake of maintaining some sort of political correctness. And so here our hearts would be the, the heart of our church, the heart of this pastor is that I love people enough to say and to call sin, sin. When sin is sin, you can't excuse it. You can't walk around it. You can't try to apologize for what God's word says. So next point I want you to see here, those who are, 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 are being, being delivered over to destruction. We can read in the next portion of the text are those with a debased mind. Read it with me. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit, To acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Okay, pause there for a second. Again, God is giving you this ability to choose because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They had a choice here. They were either going to acknowledge God or to ignore God. The word literally means to to recognize God as God, to acknowledge him, to recognize his position, to recognize his throne. They didn't see it fit to recognize God as God. So God gave them up, again, took his hands off, said, I'm not gonna force you to do anything. I'm a gentleman. You have to respond to my invitation. You have to respond to this choice. He takes his hands off of them And he gives them over to their debased minds. Now that word debased means unfit. It means that which doesn't pass the test. It's that which has been disqualified. And so we have to ask ourselves as we go into this next portion of this, this scripture, where do we stand in the midst of this? We need to look in the mirror first. And here's what my struggle is. And what my fear is with the church today is that the church as a whole has made this text all about homosexuality and it is far from the truth homosexuality is one sin in a list of sins that Paul includes here of those who are in danger of destruction, right? One of many sins. And here's what the church has done. And this is what the church is known for today. The church points its finger to this text and says, shame on the gay community. And it's no wonder that the gospel has become offensive to the gay community because we excuse our own sins and we whitewash our own sins. And we turn our, our, our eyes away from our own sins, from calling what our sin is, as sin. And we point our fingers at someone else. This shouldn't be the case. Jesus is clear in Matthew chapter five. He says, be careful because with what measure you judge someone else, the same measure will be used to judge you before you remove the speck in your brother's eye. Make sure you check the plank in your own eye. Where's the plank? What are the planks in your own life? Are you struggling with sin yourself? Are you struggling with something that you're debating through that you're really, really struggling over? Because you can't call someone else's sin, sin until you check your own sin, until you look in the mirror, until you remove the plank. So let's look at this text and let's kind of see where this is at, where where our hearts might, might lie. And let's put ourselves to the test. Paul said that we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we don't fail the test ourselves right? It has to begin here. It has to begin in my heart. Before I preach a message like this, before I can unfold this scripture in this text, I have to go away by myself. And I have to say, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any sinfulness in me, Lord, I don't want it. I want to honor you. I want to be holy for you. You are worth my purity. You are worth my holiness. So now let's really do this. Let's let the word be a mirror right now, reflecting our own hearts to our own selves so that we would be able to bring to the Lord those things that we need to confess before him in in sincerity and in humility. So let's look at what the text says. Again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And my fear is that this could describe the church. We point out things that that we view as grave sins and we excuse the little sins or the the, the sins that are just as unholy in the eyes of God in our own lives. They were filled. Is your heart filled with all manner of unrighteousness this morning? Again, look at what this list includes. It includes evil, which is sin or wickedness covetousness which is just this insatiable greed even to the point of exploiting other people and again in our american culture we're a consumer driven society and we're exploiting poorer cultures in order to feed our need for more stuff right this is not this shouldn't be so the next word there evil covetousness malice the word means hatred ill will towards another person I wonder if in the way you communicate, in the way you interact on social media, if people would know whether or not you love the Lord at all. Or are you spewing hatred on a day in and day out basis? Because here's the truth. We need to mix the truth with grace. Yes, truth is important, but it needs to be delivered with grace. And I see in our culture, a lot of people, their words are words of hatred. It doesn't matter if you're saying the right thing in the wrong manner. It can be the wrong thing right? So this malice is there. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips and slanderers. Gossip and slanderers mentioned in the same list with the rest of these sins. We think that they're so insignificant. We're not hurting anyone, but God says, no, this grieves my heart. You're in danger of destruction. The list goes on. Haters of God, insolent. Insolent means violently aggressive. Insolent haughty or prideful or always thinking of yourselves boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless and ruthless the word heartless means that which has been callous that which is hardened that which can no longer feel emotion And I see this day in and day out. How many of you drive by when you're getting off the freeway, you drive by those homeless camps and in your heart, you reason I don't need to to have my heart go in that direction. I don't need to feel anything for them because it's their own fault. They're in that position. Those people are created in the image of God. And the moment we desensitize ourselves to people who are created in God's image, the moment we lose sight of the fact that sinners are lost and they're in need of the same Savior that we've been introduced to is the moment our hearts are wrong and we become this heartless church, this heartless people that Paul is warning against. The next word thereafter, heartless, is ruthless. The word means that which lacks mercy or mercil- merciless. If you don't share mercy, if you don't share love, what good is your religion? Again, speaking of a horizontal relationship, Jesus said the two greatest commands are these: love God with everything that you've got and then the horizontal relationship, love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love your neighbor, if you're not showing love and mercy to the, the your fellow man, to your neighbors that are all around you, what good is your religion? What good is the word you preach if it's not backed up by the actions that you, that you act out every day on a day in and day out basis, right? Or have we become that church that is merciless, that isn't thinking of, of other people that whose hearts are hardened towards the needs all around us. This is why do likewise was birth. This is why we want to be the neighbor. We want to take God's word and we want to do it. Jesus says you go be a neighbor and that's what we're supposed to do with this do likewise campaign. Now let's wrap up this text together. Verse 32, Paul wraps up this portion in Romans chapter one. He says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They deserve to die. We all deserve to die. People in this long list, sinners deserve death. I deserve death. You deserve death. We all deserve death, but that's the beauty of the cross. That is the hope of the cross. That is the choice that is being presented to you this morning. A choice between a cup, a cup of God's wrath, if you want to drink it on your own, or a finished work of the cross where Jesus went in your place. In John chapter eight, the religious leaders find a woman who's in the act of adultery. She's caught in the very act of adultery And they bring her before Jesus and throw her at his feet without compassion, without remorse. And they're trying to trap Jesus. And they say to Jesus, the word says, the law says that this woman who was caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. What do you say we do, teacher? In essence, what they're trying to do is back Jesus into a corner. Will you follow what the law says? Or will you show this woman mercy? Jesus, in his wisdom And in his discernment, he says, the one who is without sin, let him be the first to cast the stone. And then he bends down into the ground and he writes something with his fingers in the dirt. And we don't know what he's writing, but whatever he's writing was so convicting on those religious leaders' conscience that they left the presence of that woman and Jesus one by one from the oldest to the youngest to where by the time all is said and done, when Jesus is done writing in the ground, it's just Jesus and the woman alone who are left. And it's in this moment that Jesus gives this woman the opportunity to choose. He says to this woman in that moment, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Where are those who wanted to cast the stones? Where are those who said you were guilty that you deserve to die? Where are they at? And the woman says, sir, there are none left. And Jesus says, you're right. Neither do I condemn you. And then he says this, go and sin no more. He says to this woman, you have a choice. You have a choice to suffer under the penalty of the law. That's not why I came. I didn't came that you would be condemned under the law. I came to free you from that penalty. I came to free you and liberate you from that sin, but you have a choice right now because your accusers are gone. You've been forgiven, but you have a choice. Will you now go and live differently? Will you now go stop sinning? Stop falling into those same traps. Stop following after those same temptations, those same vices, that same wickedness, go and sin no more. And in this moment, Jesus says, my friend, my lady, you have the opportunity today to be different. What will you choose? See, if you will listen carefully, if you'll listen to your heart's cry, maybe, just maybe, you'll hear a pebble hitting the window right now, wherever you're at. Maybe the first one didn't get your attention, but another one's being cast. Ding. Jesus is waiting down the foot of the window, and he's holding a sign, and he's saying, You have a choice. See, The choice is between that gospel, which is the power of God to save for all who believe. Will you believe? Will you let the gospel change you? Will you hear his words when he says, go and sin no more? Will you respond to that? Will you use the free will that he's given to you to make the right decision this morning and to come out of your sin and to say, I believe And now that belief that I place in you, that faith that I place in you, that is the power to save me from my sin. And I no longer have to sin. I can go and I can live differently. I can be made new. Because that is what's extended to you, my friends. But again, the burden, the burden is yours and yours alone. You have to choose Jesus this morning, right now. Choose Jesus. So Father, I pray in this moment, that you would just fall afresh on my friends, Lord, that they would see the hope that there is in the gospel, the power that there is in the gospel. And as we contrasted the the difference between suffering the wrath of God and, and receiving the promise of the cross, Lord, I pray that every single person listening today would choose the cross over the wrath, that they would choose the cross over the cup. And I pray this over them in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Love Live Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley.